Hey, it's Alan, and I just wanted to let you know that you can now listen to the ongoing history of new music early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Even though it was the middle of summer, it was cold and wet, Rob Baker remembers. And after a full day in the studio, there was nothing to do but go back to where we were staying and watch the Olympics that were happening in Barcelona. And they were still talking about Canada and what happened with Ben Johnson four years earlier. The Tragically Hip were in the UK, recording what would be their third full studio album at Battery Studios, a facility protected from the rest of the surrounding grimy northwest London neighborhood of Willesden Green by a big metal gate. After recording the last two albums away from home, Up to Here was done in Memphis and Road Apples required to move to New Orleans, a trip to London had seemed like a good idea, a chance to get away from all the distractions back home in Kingston, Ontario. It may have been dreary on the outside, but the building itself was full of history. Pink Floyd, Paul McCartney, Black Sabbath, Rod Stewart, The Cure, The Who, and dozens more had all made classic albums there. And when the hip wrapped up the sessions for the album that would be fully completely, they had no idea that they had created something extraordinary. What they didn't know was that they were about to enter the imperial phase of their career, a time when almost everything went right. This is the Ongoing History of New Music podcast with Alan Cross. She said you're gonna miss me The Tragically Hip, live at the Horseshoe Tavern in Toronto, September 13th, 1992, about three weeks before they released what a lot of fans consider to be their best album, Fully Completely. That recording, made at an invitation-only record release show, has never been available until the special 2014 deluxe reissue of the album. It was just sitting on tape and then on a hard drive somewhere in the Hip archives, and then somebody dug it up for this release. Hey, I'm Alan Cross, and this is a look at one of the greatest Canadian rock albums of all time, which came out on October 6, 1992, and would eventually become one of the few Canadian records to sell over a million copies domestically. That's worth investigating from start to finish. And joining us along the way will be Rob Baker from the band, who will add his insight and memories of creating fully completely. I had a chance to go through everything in the HIPS archives, and I mean everything that had to do with the making of Fully Completely. And this, for the very first time, is the story of the album told, um, well, fully and completely. This is the Hip's third studio album, the follow-up to 1991's Road Apples, and it came late. The Hip had planned to record it in April 1992, but something went wrong with the recording dates. They were moving to a different producer and to a different studio in a different country, so arrangements were a little more complicated and the recording dates had to be pushed back four months. That, however, turned out to be a good thing. First, the band had time to tighten up the songs they had written in something of a rush at the end of 1991. Second, they were able to squeeze in a quick tour of Australia, where they were able to road test the songs in front of some very tough audiences. And third, they had a chance to write a few more new songs. One of those new tracks was Courage, the full title of which is Courage, and then parenthetically, for Hugh McLennan, the famous Canadian author and English professor at McGill who had died about two years earlier. He's the guy credited with the phrase Two Solitudes to describe Quebec and the rest of Canada. Courage, my word. If you come, it doesn't matter. 
The sessions for Fully Completely began at Battery Studios in North London in July of 1992. I've actually been to these studios, and i got to tell you something, they're not in a great neighborhood. When the hip made plans to record in England, they thought that they were going to be out in the countryside somewhere amidst rolling hills and flocks of gentle sheep. Uh, no. The producer was Chris Sangaridis, a Greek Cypriot Brit who was better known for working with Judas Priest and Black Sabbath and Ozzy and Thin Lizzy. Uh, in my recollection, it was our idea to work with Chris, but uh, in retrospect, I think Bruce Dickinson was very good at uh, putting an idea out there and making you think that it was your own. <laughs> uh, yeah, Chris's name came up and, you know, we were tossing names around and someone said Chris Sangerides and uh, we immediately said Concrete Blonde. We love the sound of those records. Uh, we really didn't know of his involvement as sort of the godfather of English heavy metal or whatever. But uh, he just, uh, he seemed like an interesting choice. And when we got in touch with him, he was very enthusiastic about it and immediately came to Toronto to catch a show at the Horseshoe that we were playing. And uh, yeah, we were completely disarmed by him. He's just a lovely guy. And, uh, you know, we knew he could make great records. So it, it was a thrill, to, thrill and an honor to work with him. Instead of their usual way of recording, which was more or less banging out the songs as if they were playing live, Sangaridis built each of these tracks from the ground up. Chris really wanted to strip everything down in a way that I think is much more traditional 1970s recording. But uh, for us, it was completely alien. We're going to strip everything down and we're just going to record uh, the bass and drums. We're not even, you know, you guys will play scratch guitars and do scratch vocals, but it's just so we know where we are in the song. Uh, all we're listening to is bass and drums. And we spent three weeks doing that. And then building it on top of that uh, the way we'd always heard records were made and I think it really worked I think it led to a bigger sound uh, more isolation so they could uh, treat the instruments more uh, bigger guitar sounds it was amazing sometimes you you capture live energy and big sounds in ways that uh, are the opposite of what you would think you would do you know small amps sound bigger on tape and uh playing live in the studio often doesn't create the live energy. So Chris is a master and he knew exactly what he wanted and uh, we let him run with the ball. When the sessions began on July 29, 1992, the first four weeks were nothing but drums and bass. The rest of the bits took two weeks, followed by two weeks of mixing. And the result was something that sounded very, very big and very, very live. Total costs, including 1,800 pounds in pre-production, 3,000 pounds for recording tape, 10,000 pounds for various equipment rentals, 3,000 pounds for a place to stay, 3,200 pounds in food, and about 1,000 quid for cab rides, was just under 61,000 pounds, about 130,000 Canadian dollars at the time. Two things to listen for on this record. First, the guitars. Compare how they sound on Fully Completely with the ones on Up To Here and Road Apples. Then pay attention to the background vocals. Producer Chris Sangaridis called upon guitar player Paul Langwad to contribute more, mainly because his voice is a little unusual. His contributions are subtle, but when you listen for them, you can hear how they really add to the arrangement. Take a listen to Locked in the Trunk of a Car, and you'll see what I mean.
Locked in the Trunk of a Car, the first single from Fully Completely. It was called Dumpin' the Body up until about a week before they left the studio, and it had been played live a lot before the group went to England under the title Dumpin' the Body. Back with more of Fully Completely, including a very important geography lesson and an even more important lesson about hockey. This is a full and complete look at the Tragically Hips Fully Completely album, using all the stuff I was able to dig up while working on the liner notes for the band's 2012 deluxe reissue of the record. The fourth single from the album was At the 100th Meridian, and if we're going to understand the song, we need a geography lesson. If you drive along the Trans-Canada Highway towards Winnipeg, there's a big brown sign just east of the city that marks the longitudinal center of Canada, 96 degrees, 48 minutes, 36 seconds west. A little further west, and you cross 100 degrees west longitude, the 100th meridian. That line extends from the North Pole through Nunavut, Manitoba, North Dakota, South Dakota, Nebraska, Kansas, Oklahoma, Texas, and on through Mexico before disappearing into the Pacific Ocean. This meridian also roughly marks where the Canadian Shield ends and the Canadian Prairies begin. And in the U.S., it also marks the start of the Great Plains. So, the song, At the Hundredth Meridian, evolved during live performances. Its themes are metaphorical, the political divisions between the liberal East and the conservative West. And it's also about the negative side of the whole Wild West mentality. Couple of notes about this song. What is a corduroy road? Well, these were roads made by laying planks of wood or pieces of tinder or logs across ground that would be otherwise too muddy or boggy to construct a real road. And who's Ry Cooter? A blues legend. And the band likes him very, very much. Another recording from that private record release show the hip did at the Horseshoe Tavern three weeks or so before Fully Completely was released. If we're going to understand the second single from the album, we have to go deep into hockey history, and the song is 50 Mission Cap. Bill Borilko won four Stanley Cups playing defense for the Toronto Maple Leafs in his five years in the league. He's remembered best for an overtime goal he scored against Jerry McNeil of the Montreal Canadiens on April 21, 1951, in the fifth game of the Stanley Cup Finals. All five games of that series had gone to overtime, and Barucco's tally gave the Leafs the cup. On August 26th of that year, he left for a fishing trip in Quebec in a small float plane piloted by his dentist friend, Henry Hudson. On the flight home, something went very wrong, probably the result of pilot error, bad weather, and an overloaded aircraft. The plane veered off course and crashed, killing both men. The wreckage wasn't discovered until June 6, 1962, when a helicopter pilot spotted the wreckage about 100 kilometers north of Cochrane, Ontario, which put the plane at least 35 miles off course. During the whole time Barilko was missing, the Leafs did not win another Stanley Cup. So, there's the truth behind the legend. At first, the band thought that writing a song about hockey was a really cheesy idea. How would a track like this go over in, say, Australia, or the UK, or even the US? But because the lyrics work so well, the song does too, no matter where it's played. But wait, what about the title? Well, a 50-mission cap refers to a cloth officer's cap worn during World War II in the US Army Corps and Air Force. Because it was often worn under big, bulky headphones the pilots used, they quickly got crushed up. Sticking something inside them, maybe like a piece of cardboard, like a, a hockey card, returned them to a more normal shape. I 
always thought and discussed as a band that uh, Canada isn't very good at tending our mythology. The United States uh, seems to be very good at this with uh, made-for-TV movies and big-screen movies and, uh, you know, they blow their mythology up larger than life. And Canadians traditionally have not been very good about telling our own story. So... I thought this was, you know, kind of a parallel in a way to the Amelia Earhart story, and uh, but it brings a little hockey in there, which uh, sweetens it for <laughs> for the Canadian audience. I thought it was grand, and I thought it was grand the way it happened, that we were just uh, playing this caveman riff over and over, and Gord Downey whipped out the hockey card and started singing. And when he hit the chorus, 50 Mission Cap, which on some level has nothing to do with Bill Barilko, but we all knew exactly what he was singing about. We'd been on that trip to the Smithsonian in, in Washington and seen the 50 mission cap and the whole concept. And, uh, you know, no one wants to be a rookie or look like a rookie. All five of the songs we've heard so far were chosen as singles from Fully Completely. And there was one more. Looking for a Place to Happen offers even more Canadian history. There's a lyrical shout-out to Jacques Cartier, the French explorer who claimed Canada for France in 1534. Gord Downey seems to assume the role of a colonial explorer in the first two verses, but then he reverts to the viewpoint of a First Nations person in verse 3, in which he laments the arrival and the encroachment of Europeans. Have a listen. We're not done with this full and complete look at Fully Completely just yet. Now that we've covered off the singles from the record, we can look at the truths behind some of the deeper tracks. Hang tight. This is one of those deep dives that we do from time to time going into a classic album. And the subject is 1992's Fully Completely from the Tragically Hip. A couple more facts about the album. When it was released on October 6, 1992, it immediately sold 140,000 copies in Canada. Within three months, it had sold 200,000 copies. The supporting Canadian tour sold out in minutes, and in some cities, the hip sold out faster than Rod Stewart and John Mellencamp. Fully Completely was the only hip album to be released in Japan. It came out there on April 23, 1993. And in January 2007, the album was certified as selling over 1 million copies in Canada. That's a diamond award, and it puts fully completely in the same company as U2's Joshua Tree, Nirvana's Nevermind, Green Day's Dookie, uh, oh, and the hips up to here. We I think the song We Kings has touched a nerve for a lot of people. And I think maybe in part it's because it's a really easy song to play, so it makes it a great campfire tune. Uh, that's a great summer thing for Canadians to do. You know, you have to enjoy those summers. They're so brief. One of the things we'd better talk about with the Tragically Hips Fully Completely is the artwork. It requires quite a bit of explanation. So as the art student in the band, I had been tasked with a lot of the uh, being the go-between 
between the band and the record company when it came to album art and t-shirts and things like that. So I had taken my wife on our honeymoon to Italy and the whole time I was preoccupied with what's the next album cover going to be, what are we doing in terms of promo photos, and, and I was making sketches the whole time and thinking about it. And it ended up that all that stuff turned into day for night. But uh, as we were sitting in the Rome airport waiting to come home, uh, just to kill time, I was so afraid of our bags being stolen <laughs> that I spent the night with my bags wrapped around my leg and reading magazines. And I was reading a copy of Zoom magazine, a European photo magazine. And uh, there was a big feature on Leva Prinz. And she creates pieces by pressing bodies and coins and fish and fruit and whatever she can find onto a laser copier. And uh, each copy becomes a picture and you can actually increase the depth by using photo lights uh, so it's not just a surface you're getting like three or four inches of depth sometimes more so uh, as soon as I got back to Canada uh, I got in touch with Leave and told her my ideas that I you know I liked this idea of a Dutch life cycle thing with where there was sort of a decay and decadence and you know things things being born but things dying at the same time all in one grand idea and I also suggested to her some kind of a back in alien feast idea and I just left it with her and she showed up in London with a sketch and the piece may be a third done and uh, we brought a laser copier into the studio uh, on Friday afternoon and instead of knocking off for the weekend we were in there all Friday night all day Saturday and into Sunday uh, creating this piece uh, leave is an a superb artist and knew what she wanted and she has this unique technique that we didn't really see anyone else doing at the time and uh, she created this beautiful life-size piece of art and uh, I think at that point that I realized there was something really special going on. You know, the band was gelling musically, but the art, something, some kind of image thing maybe had been missing, and uh, I really felt that this was an important step. I think that it's a very underrated album cover. I really, <laughs> I'm very proud of that. Not that I did it, but, uh, you know, for whatever involvement I had in it, I think it's a really beautiful piece of work. One more. This is a song that did not make the cut for the original version of Fully Completely. For all intents and purposes, this is a brand new hip song. It's called Radio Show. The Tragically Hip with Radio Show, a song that did not make the original version of Fully Completely in 1992, but is included on the 2014 deluxe reissue of the album. And that edition also comes with the complete recordings of that private record release show at the Horseshoe on September 13th, 1992. So that's a serious look at what went into making one of the greatest Canadian rock albums of all time. And again, if you're a hip fan, I highly recommend that you pick up the 2014 reissue of Fully Completely. The album is remastered, so it sounds great, and there are two bonus tracks and that live recording from the Horseshoe Tavern in Toronto. 
yeah, I've never really spent a lot of time looking back. The re-release of a record has forced us all to look back on it and reassess. You know, I'm proud of the work we did. I'm really proud of where we were at as a band uh, and the nature of our collaboration. And I just think that uh, we were really kind of really coming into our own, starting to really fire on all cylinders. And uh, the Chris Sangeritas choice as a producer was uh, the right choice. And Leif Prince to do the album cover was the right choice. I think it's a really beautiful piece of work. Uh, musically and artistically, audio and visual. Thanks to everybody at the hip office for letting me root around through all their stuff. There are boxes and boxes and boxes of material just for this album. It's amazing. And thanks to Robbie Baker from the hip for helping out too. He was an amazing resource. If you want to learn more about anything to do with this show, go to my website, ajournalofmusicalthings.com. It's updated every single day and it comes with a nifty and free newsletter. You should sign up for that. Technical Productions by Rob Johnston. I'm Alan Cross. You've been listening to the Ongoing History of New Music podcast with Alan Cross. Subscribe to the podcast through iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and everywhere you find your favorite podcasts. 